Well, at this time, I'd like to invite up our lead pastor, Pastor Joe, as he brings us the message. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we're doing something a little bit different tonight. Um, we kind of finished off our end time series last week, at least that portion of it that dealt with the rapture. We will continue with that in the future um, as the Holy Spirit leads us. Amen? Amen. But tonight, I have a message that actually, I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me this message probably about maybe five, six months ago, and I'd been holding on to it and holding on to it and holding on to it. And then we got involved in these series doing about the end times and uh, things of that nature. And um, so I want to bring that message tonight. But we're going to do something first, okay? I, I asked Jay to play a video. It's actually a, a video with the lyrics to a hymn. Now, I didn't grow up on hymns. Uh, I was raised in the Catholic Church and got born again and then came right into the charismatic movement with all that. So I missed out on all this stuff. So I know some of you have. If those of you that are not uh, familiar with this hymn, I'm basing the teaching tonight on the lyrics from this hymn. Okay? So why don't we all stand up? We don't have any songbooks, but you can follow the lyrics. On the, uh, on the screen. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Go ahead and be seated. Just as I am. Amen. Yeah, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou biddest her call me to come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. And the truth is, we do come to Christ just as we are. And thank God he receives us just as we are. In all of our sinfulness, all of our de degradation. But do we remain as we are when we come to him in the kingdom of God? Is it God's will for his children to wallow in the mud of the past life? We know that answer, no, obviously not. However, do we have the ability to clean ourselves up not on our own. By his power, we do. Now, even though I'm up here teaching this, we're going to implement part of the old format. If whatever I'm sharing here, you have a question about, let's answer it now, because this is too important of a message tonight for me to assume that everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. Amen? Amen. Because, you see, to be ignorant of what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is the righteousness of God that we stand in through faith in Christ. To be ignorant of that means one of two things. Either we go beyond what God has meant mm -hmm. or we fall short of what God has meant. Amen? Amen? Amen. We're called to walk in the truth and the accuracy of the word. Yes or no? Amen? Amen. 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 So, the Bible clearly teaches, tells us, that there has been provision made for us. Now, we're going to be covering a lot of basic scriptures tonight. But you know, we're living in a time where life is so complicated. It's very easy for us to forget the things that we were first introduced to when we first came to Christ. And then on top of that, we can't assume that everyone is at the same place. I know in our church, especially here, specifically over the past few months, we've had a lot of new people coming to this church. Amen. It would be arrogant for us to assume we could just do business as usual. We need to take into consideration those that Jesus is just drawing into his kingdom and make sure that everybody is being discipled. Amen? Amen. So I would urge you tonight, if anything I'm talking about, you sense in your head, well, I know this all. Well, praise God. Good for you. You sit there and you pray for the rest of us that are on our way. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, is a clear foundational scripture. We need to make sure that we know this. This is something that needs to be rock bottom foundation. In other words, if you're going to build your life 
to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not just getting saved so you don't go to hell, but actually have a relationship from this point until the time you take your last breath. You need to know the foundations of this. You need to know how, how we became righteous, how God took us exactly where we were, but that God didn't leave us where we were. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Anybody have any questions at this point? Okay, good. So here we are. Now, understand here, I know those of you that are part of this church for a while, you've probably heard me teach this a lot. But let's everybody get on the same page tonight. And let's refresh ourselves in these truths. All right? Now, let's break this down a little bit. For he, that first he there, refers to God. So we could say it this way. So God made him, who's him? Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might or could or should or have the ability to become the righteousness of God in who? In Christ. Okay? This is the great exchange. This is the very mechanics of how it works that you and I could come to Jesus as filthy, degenerate, made-for-the-gutter individuals, and then in an instant can be called a saint. Now, if you come from my background, that just threw you. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. I'm not talking about a statue that's standing there with baby Jesus and the lily in one hand. Okay, I'm talking about how in the New Testament, every individual that's been redeemed, every individual that's born again is referred to as a saint, okay? A holy one, actually, original language, holy one, okay? Uh, not holy on our own strength, but holy because of who God made us. So, so the mechanics of how do we come to this place where I can confess and you can confess over, over your life, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because it's very evident that apart from him, we don't walk in righteousness. You didn't all of a sudden get yourself cleaned up. I remember you probably heard me tell this story many times. Uh, years and years and years ago, in other church that I got saved here in town, um, we went out ministering on the streets, okay? And we were in a shopping mall over here where now, gosh, it's changed so many times. Let me remember what's there now. Uh, Barnes and Nobles, okay? Do you know where the Barnes and Nobles here is in Brick? And the Petco was over there. It used to be the A&P years ago if you lived in town here. Uh, Brick Plaza. And it was, uh, Greens was where the Applebee's is. And so this is, this is a couple of decades ago. So we're there, and another, another young man and myself, we were both young men at the time. Okay, so we're going through the parking lot and handing out tracts and ministering to people. And there's two young ladies, two young ladies, and, and, and it wasn't because it was two young ladies. It just happened to be the people that were there because I was married at the time. The other young man was not married. But. So we walk up to these two, and, and we want to hand them these tracts and explain the gospel to them. And, and she says, well, I know I need to come to Jesus, but... When I get my act together, when I, when I clean my act up, then I'll come. I said, honey, you got it backwards. I said, you live here at the shore. Do you go fishing? Yes. Well, do you clean the fish before you catch it or after you catch it? You understand what I'm saying? What's the answer? You catch the fish first, and then you clean it, right? I said, that's what Jesus would do. Let him catch you. And he's the one that does the cleaning. He could do it a lot better than you can or I can. So this is what we need to understand. Now, this statement here can throw somebody. Because if you come from the background where, like, if you come from a religious background, then your mindset's going to be just automatically, you're going to think, well, I need to act like I'm righteous. I need to clean my act up, just like that young lady said. Because the thought of God making you righteous, you're thinking, how? And why? Because I'm not the nicest person in the world. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we get into, into this message. How you receive this righteousness. But the fact of the matter is, the great exchange. Here's, Jesus Christ receives us just as we are. Amen. Right? And filthy, or you could be the nicest person on the block. 
You could be the one in your family who does all the nice things for everybody. In other words, when somebody mentions your name, first thing people would say, nicest guy in the world, nicest person in the world. They'd give you their shirt off their back, everything, all those nice things. You could be that person and still go to hell. Or you could be the most. And when people mention your name, you go, you know that person? Okay? That doesn't factor in. What factors in is you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the sacrifice made on your behalf so that our Father in heaven would take the blood of Jesus Christ, even as he would have accepted the blood of a lamb, as payment for your sin. Amen? Amen? It's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of works. It's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of good deeds. Now, pastor, you're saying we shouldn't do good deeds? Of course not. But the good deeds come because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, not as a method of attaining. Are you listening? Not as a method of attaining our salvation. Any questions up until this point? Last week you had a million questions. Okay, good. So, let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. You got that? Yeah. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. I'm going to clarify that a little bit. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. The great exchange. We bring all of our filth, we bring all of our self-importance, we bring all of our polished morals, we bring all of our degeneracy, we bring all of our junk, our garbage, everything. And God goes, okay, I'll take that. Took it, put it all, for all of mankind, put it all on Jesus, and then in turn, turns around and throws on us this robe of righteousness. So that when God looks at you and looks at me, those of us that are saved, those of us that are born again, those of us that have received Christ as Lord and Savior, he sees the robe. He doesn't see you. He sees the robe. And that qualifies us because it's a robe of righteousness. And he puts it on me. You getting this? He puts it on me. But pastor, I don't feel like I deserve it. Guess what? You're feeling right. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But but if we're going to get what we deserve, we're all going to end up little lumps of charcoal. Are you listening? Okay. Say, well, this is basic stuff. Yeah, but if we're not careful, we'll forget the basic stuff. And we'll start entertaining voices that are either less than the truth or go far beyond what God has meant to speak to us. Are you listening? Okay. So, this is the way that God came up with. This is his plan of us becoming acceptable to him or having right standing with God Now, there's only one problem. This makes no sense to our human nature, none whatsoever. Because we know our human intellect tells it there's no such thing as a free lunch. Everything costs something. Would you agree? Free vacation. Free vacation, yeah. After you sit through a grueling four-hour sales pitch for a condo someplace, right? Free phone, free phone. I got my phone free. Yeah, now I'm paying $800 a month for the fees. There is no such thing as free, okay? And right standing with God is no different. It's free to us, but it costs somebody something. And that cost was the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid for our free. You getting this? I hope you're not discounting this message. Because, man, if you don't get this, you really don't understand what it means to be a Christian. You are not here. We don't stand before him on our own merit. Not at all. We stand on the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made it possible for us to come into relationship with the Father again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The words in Christ are extremely important. They express that precious position that God has given us as believers. Questions? Give me any opportunity. We have one? We have a question? I see you with the mic there. I thought somebody had a question. All right, I'm going to keep going. All right. It's there if you want it. So, like I said before, when God sees us, it's the presence of Jesus which covers us like a robe. It's that robe of righteousness. Now, some people might think, well, this is a New Testament doctrine. No. The New Testament only serves to confirm the promises that are in the Old Testament. Isaiah 61, verse 10. New King James. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me. I love this. He has clothed me, but yet Jesus hadn't come yet. But Isaiah got a hold of the truth. Because this is the same Isaiah that wrote Isaiah 53. He's already seen the cross. He's already seen the crucifixion. He's already seen all of our garbage being placed on this man that he saw 700 years before it would actually take place. He saw the crucifixion. He saw the spikes. He saw the brutal torment, the torture. He saw these things and he recognized That's how he was going to attain his righteousness. For he has clothed me, has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now, if you don't understand this about the Bible, you're going to miss out on some things. So let let me unpack this a little bit, okay? Marriage is a symbol of our salvation. And that concept appears all throughout the scriptures. The prophets used it. Jesus used it. The apostles used it. Especially Paul used it over and over again to explain the type of relationship the father desires to have with his children that are restored to him. Do we get that? Amen. This is, all of this stuff is God's idea. Okay, you notice Adam, the best plan he came up with was fig leaves. You catching this? It's the best he could do. Fig leaves. That was his little robe of righteousness. God's plan was to take us as we are. To cover us with his presence. Now, I think the only individual in the world and in all of history that could understand that statement clearly on this side of heaven is Adam. Because you see, that's what Adam forfeited when he fell. He's the only one who knows the reality. We try to imagine that. We ask God for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We ask for the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened that we would know what the hope of his calling is. But we're still on this side of heaven. We trust him that we are clothed with righteousness. But we have to do it by faith. Adam had it. In fact, It was so tangible that he never even knew he was naked because he's covered by the glory of God. The righteousness in a right standing. No past. He's created born again. He's created in righteousness. But just like the rest of us, given free choice. Now maybe we can understand a little bit, and still we can't perceive it completely, how, how much of a punch in the gut it must have been when he realized he lost what he had. He hit himself. Fear gripped him. 
remorse gripped him. Do we under, can, we, can we wrap our head around that? We're looking forward to the tangible, the reality of being enrobed in that glory of God. But he had it. And he lost it. And lost it for all of us. And we're on our way. Amen. Day will come when we leave these bodies. Whether we go to meet him or he comes to meet us. And then we'll be able to go, oh, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like. So, Isaiah said, he has clothed me with garments of, uh, with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And marriage is that symbol of salvation. We need to understand why it's so prevalent as a concept and as a symbol from the beginning of the Bible all the way through into the book of Revelation. You study the customs of that time. And it tells us that it was very traditional for the host. The ho Thank God you didn't have to marry off any kids back then. Because the host has to supply clothing, special wedding garments for the guests to come. And we're not talking about those weddings were like the whole village is coming. You imagine that? Now, I thought I lucked out when I had old boys. And they decided to change all the traditions when I came on the scene. You understand what I'm talking about? But we're talking about ancient times. I don't know if this is true today in any, any of the Middle Eastern areas. I'm, I know weddings are still a big deal in Middle Eastern countries. But at that time, it was a tradition, a custom, for the host to provide the wedding guests with garments to wear to the wedding, special garments. Okay, you probably know where I'm going because Jesus talked about this. And it would be an insult to the highest degree to refuse to wear the clothing that was provided since the guests were brought in directly from their everyday life. Okay, it wasn't like they sent out like today, two years in advance to save the date thing. You know, you're supposed to put it on your refrigerator and hold that and look at it every day. No. So Jesus, Jesus talks about this, and it's a great lesson talking about the customs of the weddings of that day and tying it into this robe of righteousness. Okay. One more time before I keep going. Any, any questions up to this point? All right, good. I'm just going to keep going. Let's go. Matthew chapter 22. You ready? Okay. A lot of scriptures, so follow me, okay? You're going to read this? Yes. You're going to read it with me? Not, not, not out loud. <laughs> Just read it with me, okay? The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story. Now, I'm reading this probably from the New Living Translation, I believe. Okay? The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. So this is a parable. It's a story meant to shed light on a situation. By the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Next verse. When the banquet was ready, he sent the servants to notify those who were invited. But they all, they all refused. refused to come. You remember what John chapter 1 says, where he came to his own and his own did not receive him? Okay. So he sent other servants to tell them, and he's talking, this is obviously talking about all the prophets in the Old Testament that God sent with the same message. He sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared, the bulls and fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. The invitation goes out. But the guests he had invited did what? Ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. So we're talking about here, these people considered their priorities as higher 
than the king. Amen? You know anybody who used to be like that? Okay. Next verse. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. And that's what they did to the prophets. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. He's angry. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Next verse. Now go out into the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, just as I am. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes of a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. But the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called. The whole world has been called. John 3.16 is available to the entire world. But few are chosen. The invitation has gone out. Some people didn't consider it enough of a priority to change their plans. And they missed out on heaven. Some of them didn't like the clothing, but still try to get in through good works and good deeds and good morals. And after all, my grandmother's been a Christian for years. My grandfather built this church. None of it matters. Because you and I can't choose what that robe of righteousness looks like. We have to submit ourselves to it. Amen? Amen. Now, I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let me see. Yeah, all right. Now, let's do it. Go to Romans chapter 10. Give me New King James, okay? Romans chapter 10. You might as well start in verse 1, and we'll get the whole thing in context. Yeah, are we good? Yes. Any questions so far? No. Okay. Good. And don't go, don't go out tonight and say, well, pastor's back to his old format where we're just listening to him. I gave you the opportunity. Amen? Amen. Brethren, my heart. Now, who wrote this? Paul. A couple of people got it. Who wrote this? Paul. Paul. Who was Paul previously? Saul. Saul. Who was he being trained to be? The next big shot in Jerusalem, right? He's going to be the head rabbi. But then Jesus came in and messed everything up. (laughs) So this guy, he's writing to a Jewish audience that happens to be in Rome. Okay, you can go to Rome today and still go to the Jewish quarter. There's still a Jewish quarter there in Rome. Okay? It's one of the oldest Jewish populations in history, okay, outside of Israel. All right? Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for who? Israel is that they may be saved. Now, can we stop for a minute? When we, when we discuss things about salvation, we say, well, where in the New Testament does salvation, where is salvation talked about? You know, we as Christians. Oh, Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, you believe in heart. But who's Romans chapter 10 written to? Israel, the Jews, okay? Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal, they're passionate for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, say God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Just like that wedding guest that came to the wedding feast and refused to put the wedding clothes on. Well, this color just does nothing for me. (laughs) 
For Christ is the end of, or we should say fulfillment. For Christ is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. believes. Keep going. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, that the man who... Say it again. Say it again. Say it a little bit louder. Does. Does. Action, right? For the man who does, the man who takes action... The man who does those things, what things? The things in the law, shall live by them. Is it possible for us to live by the law? Absolutely not. In fact, one of the biggest mistakes the entire nation of Israel made thousands of years ago was when they came out of Egypt and ended up at Mount Sinai. And Moses is up there, and what did he receive on the top of Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments, the law. And Moses comes down from the mountain and he reads all of this that God has given him, downloaded it to the tablet. (laughs) And the worst thing they said was this, because they're frightened. There's lightning on the mountain. There's fire on the mountain. There's a trumpet blast. It seems like it never wants to end. The earth is shaking. Because of the presence of God. You remember the mountains melt at his presence, okay? And the worst thing they did, biggest mistake they made. What did they say? Tell him we will do everything he said. (laughs) Wrong answer. What should they have done? The same thing you and I do when we come to Christ. Jesus, forgive me. I cannot change my life. I cannot be a good person. I cannot stop sinning. I cannot. I'm throwing myself on your mercy. They should have thrown themselves on the mercy of God. What did they do? They sealed their doom. Tell him, Moses, you talk to him because we don't. This, this is like scary here. And God says, tell him not to touch the mountain. Why? Because sin can't stand in his presence. There needs to be a mediator, and the mediator hadn't come yet. Tell him, we will do, we, like this, religious, we'll do everything he says. Wrong. But the righteousness of faith does what? Speaks. Go back to the verse before this. The righteousness which is law The man who does those things shall live by them. So so the righteousness of man does. Does. Well, God, you should let me into heaven. I, I never took drugs. I never stole anything. I've been kind to people. I buy groceries for for single moms. You you should let me in. I, I, I deserve this. Wrong. Wrong. We don't earn our way in. We don't earn the robe of righteousness. We receive the robe of righteousness. That's why some of the hardest people to preach the gospel to are religious individuals. Well, what do you mean? I go to Mass every week. Last Sunday, I lit eight candles and paid for every single one of them, even though somebody wasn't there to look at me. God only knows how many candles got lit in the Catholic Church without any money going in the box. Now they got the electric one, so you can't even light it. You understand what I'm saying? The righteousness of the law does, but the righteousness which is of faith, come on, speaks. How did you get born again? You spoke with your mouth what you believed in your heart, and you came just as I am. You getting this? So, so Paul said, now let's go with the rest of it. Go ahead. Do not say in your heart who will send it to heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Let's put it this way. Oh man, this is good. Go back, go back. Do not say in your heart who will send it to heaven, that is to bring Messiah down from above. Now Paul's an Old Testament scholar are you catching this? Well, I'll explain it to you. Paul, Saul, 
is an expert in Old Testament law. And obviously, there was a belief that he was very much aware of that the Messiah is supposed to come down from where? Above. Above. But we've got an entire community right in our backyard that's still waiting for one to be born. Messiah, but no divinity. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down from above. Next verse. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? Say, say. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word. Come on, say it, say it. That is the word of faith. Say it again. That is the word of faith. That is the word of faith which we preach. Watch out for them word of faith people. That, and what's the word of faith? How'd you get born again? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What, what, what do you mean, God? What do you mean? Like me? Degenerate me? Filthy me? Disgusting me? Corrupt me? Criminal me? Saved? By faith? You mean I can come just as I am? Yeah. But this doesn't make sense. Absolutely right. Just like Paul said. Israel missed it because they wouldn't submit to the righteousness that was of God that speaks. They clung to the righteousness of man that does. They well, that, that's the Jews. Oh, no, honey, that's any religious person. Where's Pastor Tom? Where is he? You remember the conversation we had in Seaside Heights 20 years ago with Father? I don't remember his name. No, no, whatever it was. We went to Seaside Heights. What year was uh, MTV here? 2002? 2002, I think it was. MTV came to Seaside Heights. Anybody remember that? Yeah. <laughs> set up, they set up headquarters here in Seaside Heights. Well, guess who else showed up in Seaside Heights? We did. So we, we didn't have any place to meet, so we went to the Catholic Church there, uh, right at the end where the, where the water, what do you call it, water slide is. Our Lady of um, Perpetual Help. Okay, I was going to say perpetual motion. <laughs> and, and we had favor. Thank God we had favor with, with, with the, I mean, he was old. Oh, my God. And uh, so we sat down and we said, Father, we'd like to uh, use your uh, center there, whatever family center, whatever they had, whatever. If you're familiar with the area, they got that big barracks there next to the church. The, what is it? Quonset Hut. Hut. Okay. So we said, Father, we'd like to, to rent this space from you. We want to have teams going up to the boardwalk to minister to the teenagers that are coming here because of MTV coming here. Okay. I said, Father, do you understand what we mean by ministering? Yeah, yeah, you want to come here and help the kids? And I said, Father, we want to preach the gospel to them. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Father, uh, finally then, after I don't know how long, uh, and, and uh, trust me, um, I'm not, please don't take this as me mocking anything. I'm just trying to tell you objectively how this conversation went because my heart, my heart went out to him. I said, Father, you got to understand. Now, we're, 20 years ago, we were a small church. Uh, well, we didn't have the resources, obviously, that we have today. And so we're looking at a $10,000 investment. $10,000 back then for us, whew, that was a lot of money. So I said, Father, we need you to understand what we're doing because I can't afford for you to come and pull the rug out from underneath us halfway through the summer. Okay. I said, do you understand what we mean by preaching the gospel? and about being born again. You could see the look on his face. I said, well, Father, let's back up. 
I was raised Catholic, I said to him. Went to Catholic school the whole bit. So I know what the Catholic Church believed then. I said, let me ask you this question. Today, according to Catholic doctrine, what does it take to go to heaven? And he said this, and I hope he changed after that. He said, well, that's the old Catholic Church. Um, Today, the Catholic Church believes that anyone with a good conscience towards God gets into heaven. And I went, oh, dear Jesus. So with all respect, so it was 2000, it was 2002. It was. Because what was the year before 2002? So I said to him, so Father, are you saying to me that the men that drove those planes or flew those planes into the World Trade Center towers, they're in heaven? Because they had a good conscience towards who they believed was God. Oh, no, of course not. Well, then who goes and who doesn't? And that's as far as we could take the conversation. Now, he let us use the place for almost six weeks, seven weeks. And uh, is that me? What am I doing? All right, whatever. So uh, we got over 400 people born again that summer. No, no, it's better than that. It's better. It wasn't 400 local people. God had a plan. And almost all of the 400 people that we prayed with were foreign workers that came here to work the boardwalk and took the gospel back with them to their countries. I remember sitting and talking to a girl who was from Turkey. And she said, they actually, in our schools, they teach about Jesus, but we're taught that he's a prophet. And so when I explained to her the whole bit about salvation and how that works and how we can't possibly earn our salvation through, even though we're praying five times a day, you know, because she's raised in a Muslim country. And she received Christ. There were many people from Ireland, from Poland, from Russia. It was an amazing thing. But getting back to this, what, unfortunately, Father, whatever his name was, was steeped in the philosophy that you earn your salvation by your good works. It can't happen. But it's so easy to fall into that. Why? Because that makes sense to our human psyche. That makes sense to our human nature that I can earn this thing, that I can pull myself up and I can get my act together and I can clean myself up and I can stop. Oh, oh I can stop anytime. Famous last words of every addict. I can stop anytime I want. So there's a submission that has to take place. We have to submit to God's plan. We cannot establish a plan of our own. We can't come up with our own plan. Because, again, the best that mankind came up with was fig leaves. And they don't work. So we have to submit to God's plan. And the thing that stings us the most, if we really want to get serious about it, is that God's plan doesn't allow for us to take credit for anything. And that's the only way it's got to be. See, under the law, maybe out of Ten Commandments, maybe I can pull off eight. Maybe pushing it, maybe nine. But it's impossible for us. Because, you see, Jesus takes it to a whole other level. He said, if you even look at somebody with lust, even just looking with a little bit of a three-second thought, you've already committed it. Raise it to a whole other level. Imagine what the Pharisees must have felt like. You know, I've been wearing this stuff all this time, and it's, it's useless. Well, we know two of them got the message, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. But you see, this is what we need to constantly be reminding ourselves, that we have been given the gift of righteousness. I'm not going to be able to finish this tonight. Is it okay if we come back next week? Yes. It's okay. A few people over here said yes. Yes? yes? We're good? You guys are good? We're, you guys going to come back next week? Okay. But you see what I'm saying? 
The plan of salvation doesn't make sense to our human nature because we want to earn it. We want to be able to stand up before God and say, I did this and I did that and I did the other thing and I did this. Don't you see, like, you remember when the religious people went to Jesus and said, you've got to come back to the centurion's house because his servant is terribly tormented? He deserves, he said, that's what they said to Jesus. He deserves you to come and heal his servant because he built a synagogue for us. Here's the pull. This guy did the, And thank God the centurion had more brains than the religious people did. He said, you don't even have to come under my roof. Just say the word only and my servant shall be healed. You, you know what he was saying? You know what that Roman, that Roman centurion was saying? I have been watching you. And I see that when you speak, things happen. And I've got nothing to offer you. So there's no reason for you to come to my house. I don't qualify for this. But I believe that you can do this. And it, and it can't, what happened? Servant was healed that very hour. You and I have got to keep reminding ourselves. See, Romans chapter 5 talks about not only the grace that brought us into salvation, but the grace by which we stand. The grace didn't stop when you said, Jesus, come into my life. The grace continued. We got to constantly remind ourselves. Because, you know, some of us did get our act together since we got born again. Some of us were able, we are able to live a little bit better life and be a better person and, and maybe love better and serve each other better. And some of us have changed, transformed, but it didn't happen because you all of a sudden decided to stir up some discipline. It happened because you submitted yourself to the word of God, Amen. which is the agent of change in the kingdom of God. Amen. We renewed our minds. But, don't, but I hope you understand this and realize this. And I hope it doesn't cast a cloud over you. You keep living and you keep finding out areas that didn't get regenerated yet. I guess me and Pastor Tom and David are the only ones that found that out. Because if you keep hanging around on this planet and live longer, the longer you live, the more you realize there's still some messy stuff in our lives. And so what do we do? Do we just get down on ourselves? Do we decide to throw in the towel and give up? No, we remind ourselves, hey, hey, I didn't earn this robe. All of my mess went on Jesus so that this robe could be made available to me. And let's live in that sense of gratitude and humility. Amen? Can we finish this next week? Any questions? Any comments? Any observations? Yes or no? I say a hand over there. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, two hands. One on that side, one on this Adam side. Adam lost. With Adam lost, if we believe our identity is in Christ and not our behavior, don't we receive that through the Holy Spirit, through grace? As much as we can on this side of heaven, mm. but you still have a natural body. Oh, yeah. Right, that when, we, when we're out of here, we receive the glorified body, which ah, is yeah. glorified, okay? Yes. Yeah. So remember, remember this, okay? The curse, uh, how do I explain this without stirring stuff up here tonight? <laughs> this planet is still under a curse. Okay, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, but there's still curse on the earth. That final redemption Wipes everything out. Amen. Okay. Well, well you, might, you, you might need to wait until next week to answer this because it might be a little too long. Um, but <laughs> I was raised in the Catholic Church, Catholic school, the whole nine yards. So the whole. You understand that I'm not bashing it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. And thank God that I. I thank God I was raised in the Catholic Church. <laughs> but we were just recently at a funeral where it was at the Catholic Church. And they said, thank God that he was such a good person. And if we could all just be like him, we'll meet him in heaven. But that's not my question. Okay. So I was going to say, I rest my case. No, no, no. <laughs> so, but I left there so discouraged because Jeff and I were like, 
Because oh, you knew the person. <laughs> think that that's how they get to heaven. However, my question lies in um, Moses and the Ten Commandments. So if he brought those commandments down, then is that to have us elevate to try to be those people? Because they didn't know yet, at least I don't think they did, that their, their fate relied in the faith of Christ, not in the obedience of those Ten Commandments, if that makes sense. Okay. Is that the whole question? That's my question. All right. All right. Period. Abraham, Abraham lived before Moses, right? And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He put his faith in what was going to come. Okay, during Moses' time, they had occasion after occasion after occasion to see the future. Okay, do you remember um, when they were in the wilderness and they began to grumble and complain and snakes got loose and the snakes bit them and I think 23,000 people died in one day? or 20-something thousand people died in one day, and God gave instruction to Moses to put up a pole and to put a bronze serpent and bronze, brass and bronze always speak, of, they're symbolic of judgment um, in the Old Testament, okay? And so they were told if the, when they were bitten, which is sin, if they looked to the serpent on the, on the pole, or we could say on the cross, that they would be healed. They, they had all these things in front of them. Passover lamb. They had everything. They had Jesus in front of them. Uh, just even the blood on the, on the doorposts. They had Jesus. Jesus has been in front of them. Now, I guarantee there were others that believed and it was accredited them for righteousness. So, did I, I think there was a second part to your question. What was... Just, just as I was growing up, that was what was like kind of beaten into us in the Catholic Church. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. you have to follow the commandments and if right. you disobey the commandments, then... You have to repent, right. and that's the only way. Oh, oh that's right. So, so your question was, in other words, if I'm paraphrasing correctly, what's the use of having these Ten Commandments if we know we can't do them? It's to point to the need for the Messiah. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? It's a point. Paul said it was a tutor to bring us to that place of recognizing that our salvation. That's good questions. Thank you. Anybody else? We're good? All right, you're going to come back next week so we can finish this? Yes. All right, you promise? Yes. All right, let's go have some coffee. If anybody needs prayer, come on up.